Good evening. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the United States. Today is the 16th of January and the year is 2021. So what I want to do today is, of course, continue our discussion of the central nervous system and the senescing aging process in humans. And I'm going to take a slight um, detour from the canonical senescent process and talk about a reasonably uh, well-characterized and recent um, analog of the secretory um, pathway that is generated by senescence, the SASP, and talk about the MIDAS senescence process. So that's where we are right now. And so <clears throat> if you compare mitochondrial dysfunction-associated senescence, which is called MIDAS, and basically conventional stress-induced senescence, MIDAS is observed um, with usually a different genetic background. And that's related to how the metabolism is occurring within the cell that goes through a MIDAS reaction rather than a typical stress-induced senescence leading to SASP is because it has more to do with bioenergetic dysfunction. And so that's why it is linked to mitochondrial dysfunction, right? So MIDAS and senescence can be caused by genotoxic or even oncogenic stress. And so because of that, there are some uh, crossover between one phenotype and another. But where they really differ is in two important ways. One is that the MIDAS form of senescence does not promote inflammation, typically. Whereas, of course, the canonical SASP senescence pathway does promote uh, inflammatory responses. So in order to generate that inflammation, you secrete pro-inflammatory cytokines in the SASP system. So the MIDAS secretome is going to lack some of those pro-inflammatory cytokines. Which ones? Interleukin-1 and F-kappa-B are two major ones. So during senescence of any given cell, you're going to start off with a relatively high NAD to NADH ratio. That means that more NADH is going to be oxidized, so there's more available NAD for further reduction. Now, that's going to result in a biochemical phenotype that's going to have relatively low AMP kinase activity, and it's going to generate a secretome like SASP, pro-inflammatory. Now, as you lead into a mitochondrial dysfunction, you're going to get stability of growth arrest, you're also going to get, really importantly, the production of the beta-galactosidase activity in serum. And so they're calling that senescence-associated beta-galactosidase activity, or SA beta-gal. You also get a reduction in the expression of lamin B1. Okay, now I'm going to explain why those two are significant. But the other key feature of the MIDAS senescent pathway is now you have 
relatively low NAD to NADH, okay? So that means there's more NADH available. That's going to result in a higher AMP kinase activity, and it's going to generate the Midas secretome. Now, the Midas secretome, what it will do to other cells adjacent to it, for example, to adipocytes, is going to block pre-adipocyte differentiation while it will promote keratinocyte differentiation. Now, this is really important in certain vascular systems. And uh, that's where it was actually first described in humans. So the Midas secretome generates those two different changes in cell differentiation <clears throat> because there's an absence of the pro-inflammatory cytokine IL-1 and NF-kappa B, but there's an increase in interleukin-10, TNF-alpha, and the chemokine CCL-27. So in order to generate that mitochondrial dysfunction, you get increases in two mitochondrial deacetylases, known as sirtuins, and it's sirtuin-3 and sirtuin-5 isoforms. Those are going to end up being expressed in the mitochondria, okay? So it's a really key feature what generates the mitochondrial dysfunction phenotype from the classical SASP phenotype, right? And so we're going to give a lot more detail to that in a minute, but I just want to give you that, that basic um, generative discussion. So <clears throat> Midas is caused by an increase in the ratio of NAD to NADH and the resulting activation of AMP kinase, which in turn activates P53 during the Midas senescence enhancement process. So both the growth arrest of the modified secretome of Midas cells were P53 dependent, obviously. So what was discovered is that P53 limits the expression of the SASP phenotype, right? The senescence-associated secretory phenotype, which is pro-inflammatory. And you can, and then from that initial characterization, the NF-kappa B independent mechanism was discovered. So it's no longer involved. So without NF-kappa B, you get a loss of IL-1, which means you get a loss of an inflammatory arm of the SASP, and you get expression of these other factors. IL-10, of course, is, uh, regulates inflammation in that it downturns inflammation, and more on that later. So you know that non-uniform aging of cells can be a major risk factor for two potential cell fates, degeneration, particularly neurodegeneration in the central nervous system, or cancer. So with mitochondrial dysfunction, you get cellular senescence and associated with cell cycle arrest, telomerase decline, and of course, nucleic acid lipid protein oxidation. Indeed, mitochondrial dysfunction comprises that distinct type of cellular senescence. So you get the mitochondrial uh, sirtuin-3 and or sirtuin-5 becoming expressed in the mitochondria, and that will induce this mitochondrial-associated senescence. So as I said, remember that senescence itself is chronological, and depending on when it occurs in the age of the organism or the cell tissue mass can be quite pathophysiological. 
Remember, too, that it's a sequenced event in hierarchical nature, and it works in response that restricts mitotic division, and thus you can get aberrant proliferation of damage-infected or tumor-inducing cells if you don't have senescence. So senescence blocks that aberrant proliferation of damage-infected or indeed tumor cells or tumor-inducer cells. Now, because those cells are senescent and they have, of course, low anabolic currency to present self-produced antigen epitopes as displayed by their HLA, they are not targeted by the immune response. Rather, they can become secretory and induce inflammation, and all that is conducted by instantiating the SASP phenotype. So senescence presents with metabolic reprogramming, of course, strong, powerful, non-canonical epigenetic chromatin remodeling, and the secretion of growth factors, signaling molecules, pro-inflammatory cytokines and chemokines, proteases, including extracellular metalloproteases, nucleotides, exosomes with, for example, interfering RNA or even messenger RNA, and indeed ionic bursts. Now, that's all collectively referred to as the SASP, right? And we've already talked a great deal about that, but I'm just giving you a different angle on it here. <clears throat> so cellular senescence permanently arrests cell proliferation, okay? And as I said, it's often accompanied by this multifaceted SASP. Now, when you get a loss of mitochondrial function, that can drive age-related decline in a function of post-mitotic tissues, and that mitochondrial dysfunction, of course, can lead to programmed cell death, depending on which particular pathway uh, is followed. Now, in order to generate programmed cell death, you need to have enough energy. But in a cell that's already gone through senescence, you can short-circuit that apoptotic pathway and lead to a Midas phenotype. Okay? So... Let's say you start off with a non-senescent proliferating cell and you give the genotoxic stress, such as a xenobiotic that inhibits, uh, I don't know, let's say um, splicing of RNA from DNA or maybe during recombination, an incomplete recombination repair mechanism generating genotoxic stress. You're going to generate then whether or not you have high levels of the glycolytic intermediate pyruvic acid, the senescence arrest pathway. That's going to give you a low lamin B1. It's going to give you low and chronic AMP kinase activity. It's going to give you low levels of P53. And that's going to give you those other um, really important um, uh, cofactors that are necessary to generate the pro-inflammatory phenotype that's high NF-kappa B and also the high NAD to NADH ratio. That's going to lead to interleukin-1 and NF-kappa B secretome. Now, if you get genotoxic stress or mitochondrial dysfunction in combination, if there is plenty of pyruvate in the cell, which means glycolysis has been functioning, but the TCA cycle is not, 
so you all, all you're doing is homolactic fermentation, then you're either going to go one of two ways. If there's plenty of pyruvate in the cell with a mitochondrial dysfunction with or without genotoxic stress, you're going to start getting a proliferation of those cells. You're going to have high lamin B1. You're going to have low AMPK again. You're still going to have low P53. You're going to have high NF-kappa B. But now you're going to get nuclear HMGB1. I'll explain to you what that's about in a minute. And you're going to still have high NAD to NADH. Now, without pyruvate, which means the cells are either using lactate dehydrogenase to decrease the amount of pyruvate, A, or B, the oxidative pentose phosphate shunt is tuned down or is filled up with NADPH so it can't proceed to the transketolase, transaldolase pathways, thus generating glycolytic intermediates. Or number three, the pyruvate is being used rapidly in the TCA cycle. This could be an anabolic pathway, but in senescing cells, these would be anabolic and therefore oncogenic. Right? Again, the cell fate is important in that uh, potential pathophysiological pathway. So what you get then with low levels of pyruvate is senescence arrest. It's kind of like the SAS pathway again. Once again, you have low lamin, but you have high AMP kinase because pyruvate levels are exhausted. So you're going to need to generate catabolic pathways. That's what AMP kinase is going to do for you. And because of that, you're going to have high P53. You're going to have low NF-kappa-B which is linked to the P53 uh, pathway, that rheostat, high P53, always is transcriptionally inactivating uh, the level of NA-kappa-B. You're also going to get a secreted HMGB1, kind of like the SAS pathway. But unlike SAS, or unlike the proliferative pathway with mitochondrial dysfunction, you're going to have a low NAD to NADH ratio. That's the Midas secretome, okay? So once again, cells that underwent this mitochondrial dysfunction associated senescence, the Midas, lower NAD to NADH ratios, which causes the growth arrest and it prevents interleukin-1-associated SASP through the AMP kinase-mediated P53 activation, as I've just said. Okay? This is also um, a phenotype that generates progeroid mice. So you can have mice that um, can mimic the human disease progeria, which is early aging, right? Rapid and early aging. If you move through the mechanisms for the Midas secretome pathway, okay? Now that came from a paper published back in 2016 in Cell Metabolism. And of course, I'll put that in the show notes. Now, <clears throat> Some straightforward biochemistry, as I'm sure most of you are going to be able to follow along really well now because you're starting to become biochemists, right? So because mitochondria are going to do what? They're going to oxidize NADH to NAD. A mitochondrial dysfunction is going to decrease the NAD to NADH ratio, you see? Because you're not going to be doing as much oxidation. Now, while mitochondria normally oxidize NADH, 
which can be generated from the TCA cycle or from beta oxidation of fatty acids. They also oxidize the cytosolic NADH pool through the alpha glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate and maleate aspartate shuttle systems, which we've talked a great deal about also in a biochemistry lecture. So the inhibition of the latter of those systems by depletion of malate dehydrogenase will also effectively lower that same ratio. It'll lower the NAD plus to the NDH ratio, and that will induce a senescent arrest. That suggests, okay, from the looking at the literature, published literature, that an elevated cytoplasmic NADH will drive cells into senescence. So that's interesting because you know that if you have an elevated level of NADH, <clears throat> it means that you've run glycolysis, but you're not utilizing NADH to get it into the mitochondrial for reoxidation. Likewise, you're also not running the lactate dehydrogenase, which also would allow you to reform the NAD plus, right, for that gap dehydrogenase reaction uh, in the glycolytic pathway. All right. So basically, by studying this process, you can see that if you have high levels of cytoplasmic NADH, it'll drive the cells into senescence. And so that means that when you have NAD plus decline, with age in tissues, that's one of the biochemical principles associated with senescence and with aging in the entire organism. So again, Midas secretome has, and, and other aspects of its biochemical phenotype, you have the reduced lamin B1, and you have a decreased nuclear localization of this protein called HMGB1. Now, what is that protein? That's the high mobility group protein B1. So you've got lamin decreased, you've got nuclear localization of the HMGB1, you've got increased levels of one more protein, an inhibitor of the cell cycle, and that's P21. Now, a little bit more about this uh, protein, the um, HMGBB1. Okay, HMGB1. So you, this is a multifunctional redox sensitive protein. It has a lot of different roles in, depending on where it is in the cell, which compartment it's in, which, uh, for example, organelle. Now in the nucleus, this is really interesting, this high mobility group protein B1, okay, which we're telling you you get a decreased nuclear localization of in Midas, when, it, when that protein is normally in the nucleus, which would be a non-Midas phenotype, is actually one of the major chromatin-associated non-histone proteins you find in the nucleus. And it actually it acts as a DNA chaperone, and it's associated with um, positive, coherent DNA replication, RNA transcription, and then as other aspects of chromatin remodeling. If it is a B cell or a T cell, this high mobility group protein B1 in the nucleus is also involved in VDJ recombination, DNA repair, and indeed genome stability. So the high mobility group protein B1 is proposed to be a biosensor for nucleic acids. It promotes host inflammatory responses to sterile and infectious signals, and it's involved in a coordination integration of
both, as you might guess, the innate and the adaptive immune response that's involved in recombination. That's going to generate then changes in Ig um, uh, on the surface, IgM initially, and then IgG later is secreted. And of course, the T cell receptor goes to the same kind of recombination. And that's going to mean there's going to be a differential association with antipresenting cells, which will then affect both innate and acquired immune response. You see. Now, in a cytoplasm, okay, now you have decreased nuclear localization as protein in, in Midas. So this is going to be the phenotype here. In the cytoplasm, the uh, HMGB1 protein functions as a sensor or a chaperone for what are known as immunogenic nucleic acids. That implicates an activation of our old friend, TOLAC receptor 9 mediated immune responses. When the cell detects high levels of DNA in the cytoplasm, it turns on the TLR9 response, which generates an immune response depending on what cell type you have. And what it does normally is mediate autophagy, once you start picking up high levels of DNA in the cytoplasm. So it acts basically as a danger-associated molecular pattern molecule, or what we call DAMPs, in that it amplifies the immune response, and that can occur during tissue injury because that's when the nuclear membrane will get disrupted and you get DNA into the cytoplasm, you see. Now, lamins, this other protein that is significant for the Midas phenotype, okay, is reduced. Uh, lamin B1 is reduced in Midas. Now, what are lamins? They're part of the nuclear lamina or lamina. And what's that? It's a fibrous layer on the nucleoplasmic side of the inner nuclear leaflet membrane. And probably provides a structural framework for the nuclear envelope to fold correctly. And it also has some association with chromatin. So lamins and high mobility group protein B1s are really important for controlling um, nucleic acid metabolism from the nucleus to the cytoplasm and thus generating a potentiation of an immune response. And even before that, a sensor for um, danger, and that's going to be the damp response working through the toll-like receptors intracellularly, okay? These are going to be defense-associated mechanisms. And now I'm telling you that this Midas phenotype in aging cells, if you get mitochondrial damage, is going to alter that entire profile, right? So you can, you can understand why senescence is so complicated because you can get a SAS phenotype you can get a Midas phenotype within, say, one nucleus of one part of the central nervous system and still all senescent and still all contributing to the aging, for example, brain, because it's in the CNS. That's my example, you see. Now, <clears throat> paper published in Frontiers in Immunology back in March of 2018 um, now we're going to introduce this. This is going to talk more directly about the immune response. Remember what dendritic cells are. Dendritic cells are going to be what are known as gatekeepers of the immune system because they're going to control how antigen presentation triggers via induction and polarization of other innate immune cells, 
such as macrophages and monocytes and other dendritic cells, but also, of course, T lymphocytes. Okay, so you're going to get from dendritic cells an induction and polarization of the primary antigen specific immune responses. What I'm saying there. And of course, depending on how they mature and then therefore become activated, the molecules that get expressed on the surface of those APCs, the dendritic cell, and the cytokines that get produced uh, from the dendritic cells will elicit an immune response that will then ultimately activate effector T cells. Now, at the same time, and we've talked about this at great length here at Authentic Biochemistry, they can induce a tolerogenic phenotype because they can also, that is dendritic cells, depending on how antigens are presented, they can also induce T cell energy or they can upregulate Tregs or T regulatory cells. They can also produce or induce the production of regulatory cytokines like interleukin 10. So among the cytokines produced with telogenic dendritic cells is indeed interleukin 10. It's a key regulatory cytokine. It limits and terminates excessive T cell responses, particularly to microbial pathogens because it's linked to antigen presentation. That will then prevent chronic post-infection high levels of hyperinflammation. And therefore, it will limit tissue damage. Now, because the important role in preventing autoimmune diseases, you can also expect transplant rejection is associated with dendritic cells, allergic reactions, and even in controlling the chronic inflammation that we were just laying out for you, these dendritic cells have become really important to understand how antigen presentation works to generate an immune response. So, for example, for the treatment of allergic or allergenic inflammatory responses, the aim is usually to downregulate if you've got an autoallergen uh, uh, phenotype, a pathophenotype, you want to downregulate the allergen specific Th2 response. Okay. And that's going to be associated with the clinical symptoms. So you get allergen-driven Th2 activation, Th2-driven immunoglobulin E production, IgE-mediated mast cell and basophil activation, allergic inflammation. Okay. So combine the presentation of allergens by dendritic cells with a pro-tolerogenic interleukin-10 producing phenotype, as you might guess, is going to be really important to uh, characterize because it can modulate the allergen-specific immune response and therefore be associated with treatment of um, autoallergic diseases and autoimmune diseases in general. So it's all associated with that Th2 response, and there's a huge focus on interleukin-10. And I'm already telling you interleukin-10 is part of the Midas senescence phenotype. So this links into how does interleukin-10 get synthesized? How does it get secreted? How does that signaling cascade become transduced in the senescent phenotype? Okay, And one of the ways to study that is to use bacterial fragments to generate that. And so aging then is intimately associated with the normal processes of dendritic cell mediated control over Th2 
immune responses, which are pro-inflammatory and associated, of course, often with allergens. And that's why we talked about the IgE cascade and the mast cells, basophils, and all that. Okay. So see how that the two work together. Now, you also have to think about when you have DC cells with live or killed bacteria, and even in just isolated bacterial components, you're going to get both an anti-inflammatory IL-10 and a pro-inflammatory now TH1 promoting interleukin-12 secretory pathway. And of course, that's paralleled by an enhancement of an expression of all the co-stimulatory molecules that are found on the stimulated dendritic cells. So by the secretion of dendritic cell-derived exosomes and chemokines, I told you those were all part of the also the the Midas phenotype, right? Just follow along here. And one of the chaperones and chemokines that are are linked up with it, one of the specific chemokines is called ligand, uh, CC uh, chemokine ligand or CCCL. Um, And the expression of that with inhibitory molecules like cytotoxic T lymphocyte associated antigen 4, that's a CTLA-4, along with TNF receptor superfamily member four, immunoglobulin-like transcript 22 cluster of differentiation, 85, or indeed the program death signaling, PDL, PDL1, interleukin-10 producing dendritic cells are going to be able to suppress that entire response through its association with the TH2 response. Okay. So, that's a lot I know that to, to cover in just a few minutes like that, but I wanted you to get the full picture. So I stop there. Dan Guerra saying bye for now.